Good evening, everybody. Going through the Word today. We're going to go through Psalms, Psalm 32. And let's read through that. Let's read uh, the whole psalm. If somebody could stand up and read that for us. Psalm 32. Psalm 32, it's a prayer. And the first part of it talks about who it is addressed to or who it applies to. So verse 1 and 2, we can see that as the beginning of it, um, as the addressee. So verse 1, it talks about blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, who God counts no iniquity against whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, when we were going through the Proverbs, we talked about this parallelism. One of the ways that we understand poetic scripture is that one part of the verse will explain the next, right? So what does it mean to be forgiven? That means your sin is covered. Now, what does it mean for the sin to be covered? Well, we have to put our eyes into the eyes of God, right? And if we look into the eyes of God, we'll note that anybody who sins, God sees that, and that's like seeing something disgusting in his eyes. Imagine vomit on the floor. Imagine waste. Imagine a corpse. God sees that, right? And so when we talk about being covered, we can also look at it in the sense of Adam and Eve after they, were, after they sinned. What happened after they sinned? They felt shame, and they needed to be covered, right? And one sense of covering is in the sense of being protected from the eyes and the feelings and the guilt and the weight of others. Sin has this impact on us that it not only does it degrade the heart, it also degrades us in front of other people. Even sinners degrade other sinners, right? We give a lot of times the analogy, and I like analogies because they help us to center on truths. But as much as guys chase women, they will immediately degrade a woman as soon as she says yes. So does it do her any good to be caught? Right? Does it do her any good to be caught by that kind of man? sin degrades those who partake in it. And one of the things about forgiveness is it restores a sense of honor or a sense of protection or a sense takes away the sense of shame that sin brings. It says blessed is the one against whom God the Lord counts no iniquity. And again it's talking about forgiveness but it's maybe it's talking about a little bit more than forgiveness it's talking about the restoral of the soul. When we talk about a sinner one thing about sin is that sin stains the soul. So when we talk about sin, you could think of it as I put my hand in some ink, and even if I did wash off the ink, there might still be ink blots on me. Only God can restore the skin back to its original color. And that's what God does. 
when it talks about God counseling on iniquity, what it means is he removes even the staining process of sin. And we talk about that as the salvation or the renewing of the soul. We who are saved, we have a new soul. We have a new conscience. We have a new spirit in us. And so one of the things why we need a new soul is because our old spirit was stained so badly with sin. We felt so guilty. We had so much weight. And when we got saved, that went away. So the psalm is addressed to those who have been forgiven. But then it says in verse 3 and 4, it starts to talk about his distress or a common distress that happens to believers. It says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What is he talking about in verse 3 and 4? Well, that's the impact of sin on the believer now, right? So now he is a believer. He's talking about, he said, hey, this psalm is just two believers. Verse 3 and 4, hey, this is what my problem is, that I sin. Maybe at the end of verse 2 is a little bit of a clue of what he's talking about because he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. What does it mean to have in no deceit in our spirit? It would mean to confess when we have a sin, right? But he had a sin and he tried to keep it secret. And what happened when you try to keep a sin secret is it can't be healed. One of the things that happens as we try to keep a sin secret, you know what it's like? It's like trying to keep a rash secret. And if you don't treat a rash, it will spread and it will get worse. But if you simply just try to say, well, you know what? I got a rash on my neck. I'm just going to wear a scarf. Will that do you any good in the long run? But our spiritual solutions that don't have to do with confession are like that scarf over that rash. Well, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. One thing about sin is when we think about a sin as believers, we anticipate the pleasure but immediately we feel a sense of dread after we have sinned, right? And the reason that you might be nodding is because you know that I'm talking about it because I know from experience what it means to be a sinning believer, right? We all sin, and we all know what that is. When we do a sin and we know we did wrong, but we don't want to admit it, and the more we hang on to it, the more it hurts us inside. He says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Sometimes there's even a physical impact from sin. But a lot of times it's simply the thought that we disobey God. And now we always looking for like, where's his hand going to fall, you know? So you go outside and you trip. Was that God? Was he getting me back? You drop a piece of paper on the ground and it get wet. Was that God? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But the tension and the stress that you have, that's because of sin. So then in verse 5, here's the solution. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Right? The whole psalm starts to turn here. I acknowledge my sin to you. 
One of the things that's really important for us as believers is the act of confession, right? Sometimes a sin, we have to verbalize what we have done. One thing that's really important for our kids is when our kids do wrong, let's have them explain if they are of an age to do so. Let's have them explain what they did wrong, right? It's not just good enough for them to just know they did wrong. Let them put it in their words. What did you do? And then let them explain it because that's what God did to Adam. He said, what is this? What would you do? We have to ask ourselves, what did I do? This is what I did. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In other words, there's a time to repent, and there's a time to not. There is a penalty to holding on to sin too long and not letting God remove that. Now, I know when we confess, we have a sense of shame, but that sense of shame will quickly wash away as God forgives us. As we get over our own sense of pride, we will see the healing power of sin, of, of salvation, of forgiveness. It says, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, there's two ways to think about that phrase. One is, it could be talking about an unbeliever who tries to call God when it's too late, right? In the rush of many waters, he won't be heard. Just like we looked into the Proverbs, we saw there was a section that said, I will laugh at their calamity, right? But I think this also could be talking about a believer in that there is a time to repent, and sometimes when you don't repent in that time, there's an even worse consequence for not repenting. So verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and brittle, or they will not stay near you. Now, what it's talking about here is this. Verse 7, he says, I'm a hot, you are my hiding place. One of the things that sin does is this. When we sin, we think to hide from God. But when we get saved, we start to understand that God is the place that we go to hide from danger. And it's a different a kind of switching that goes on. One of the things um, that was funny to me is I remember we, I was just walking down the street once when I was younger, and somebody was just walking, and the police came around the corner. I don't even think they were looking for him, but he just started running. So they chased him and caught him. Why did he run? Because he was guilty. He was guilty of something, right? Why did they catch him? Well, he running for some reason, right? They may not know why, but they know he run. He running for a good reason. We run because we're guilty. One of the things that really bothered me is in church, if we avoid accountability, that makes me like, why you don't want to be in touch with people, <laughs> you know? Somebody asks you about your life. How your job doing? Why you asking me that? Okay, I guess it's not going well then. We need to be open to each other because only in the openness of the saints, right, only in the heart that doesn't have deceit. And what does that mean not to have deceit? That means openness, right? I'm not, we're playing, it's almost like you playing cards and I'm playing cards, but you see all the cards in my hand and I'll see all the cards in yours. 
there's nothing hidden between me and you. Only in there can there be instruction. In verse 8, what it talks about is this. God will instruct us one way or the other. He will instruct us the easy way or he'll instruct us the hard way. Either way, he's going to be instructing us. So we can be instructed the easy way. We could just be told. God says, hey, go over there. You go over there willingly. Or you can go over there, and now he's got to take you like with a rope around a horse's neck and drag you over there, and you're still going to end up at the same place, but one was with pain and one is with pleasure. Then in verse 10 and 11, it's talking about the judgment of the wicked versus the righteous. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What he's talking about is, again, that end point for both the believer and the wicked. One of the things that I love about God's word is when it talks about judgment, verse 11 jumps immediately to the present. And what that means is this. When we look at books like Revelation, right, when we look at the prophecies, do you think that that's just so we can just know more about the future? No, that's so that we can live today victoriously. The reason that we learn about hell is so that we will live in the fear of God now. The reason we learn about heaven is so that we would hope for a city just like Abraham hoped for a city. But we would hope for it now. So we wouldn't live for the city that we live in. That we wouldn't live for the same things that everybody else around us is living for. So he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That comes immediately after the judgment. And that's one reason why we should preach about consequences, why we should preach about God's judgments. Because they instruct us today, amen? All right. So let's go into our meditation. Twenty-two. We're just going to read a little bit past where we left off the last time. Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. For princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion, and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy. They have extorted from the sojourner without justice. I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I returned their way upon their heads, declared the Lord God. that what thoughts occurred to you 
What did the Holy Spirit say? What else? What other things occurred to you as we read? I'm going to bring to you guys real quick before I end. Um, this brought to my mind is I read a news story today about a pastor who he was trying to raise money so he can get a $75 million jet. He said he said he wanted to raise money because Jesus didn't want him riding on no mule. And uh, it's a special curse for people like that because they profane God's work in trying to get material gain out of it. And um, that should make you angry when you hear that because that puts a shame on God's teaching. I praise God for the pastor. He don't make um, a lot of money in this church. He not doing it, definitely not doing it to get no $75 million jet. When I look at these men like this, you know, they lead in all kind of congregations filled with people. We need to pray that some of those people start coming to churches like this. We need to start grabbing some of those people and tell them they need to come to churches where the truth is being taught. So when I see people and somebody, he's looking for somebody to stand in the breach. Somebody at that church should have challenged that pastor when he said that. Because he's just talking ignorantly. But you know what? You go to those churches, they worship their pastors. And that's how they get away with that mess. And so we ought to at least respect our pastor because he's a moral man and not trying to swindle us. And so I praise God for that. weekend like in Milwaukee there was like 10 shootings um some yeah craziness um so let's just uh, have a couple people pray um pray for our city um continue to pray for the people in our city and um, our mission to reach them the wickedness is always there it just as it seems like every year as it gets warm the wickedness spills out into the streets um so people who aren't saved their hearts are wicked so it's not really surprising it's just a shame. So pray for our city, pray for our mission in our city, and then pray for, you know, thinking of Jeremy as that stuff's going on, you know, the people that are put in place to protect us. Pray for the police officers and the firefighters um, who are there to help, you know, kind of control some of that and keep it under um, control. And Lord, we just come to you and we just lift up our church and our church's mission, Lord, as we are reaching out to uh, reach men and reach families in our city and impact their lives in a positive way and lead them to um, a relationship with you and lead them in how a godly life and a godly um, ask that you just continue to um, just work in our city and uh, work in the lives of the people in our city and um, continue to is a night prayer and Bible study go ahead Mr. Dick <laughs> <laughs> I just see it's my hand over there <laughs> 